The atrocities of World War II and the Holocaust in itself demonstrate the most horrific cruelties amongst humans one can ever conceive. The millions of lives tortured, starved, and who ultimately perished at the hands of Nazis will forever be a stain on human history. Some of the most infamous names of evil ultimately responsible are Hitler, Mengele, Hess, Himmler, and Goebbels, just to name a few. However, not all of these evil monsters were male or even members of the SS. Ilsa Koch may be the most depraved woman to ever walk the earth, gaining the title of the Bitch of Buchenwald. And after this story, you'll never look at a tattoo or lampshade the same again. All right, guys, that is the rock band Sabaton with their hit single, Uprising. That song is about when the Nazis invaded Poland. And remember, if you're listening to this, you owe me 100 Nazi scalps. I'm just kidding. Let's make it 200, shall we? Taken from the heads of 100 dead Nazis. Or you will die trying. All right, so tonight's story was one of those stories that uh, I was researching for the podcast that I'm putting out that I've already put out. I don't know if you guys noticed it yet, but, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but the podcast is called Ghoul, G-H-O-U-L, and it is about the life and times of Ed Gein. Woo! And I know I said I would uh, do episodes related to that, and I am. I just put out the podcast way earlier than I thought. So I'm putting the link to that podcast in the show notes as well as on talkmurder.com. Be sure to subscribe to that and give me a review. The next episode will be out this Thursday or Friday, so you don't want to miss that. It's a four-part series based entirely on Ed Gein's life and the atrocities that he committed. It's very fascinating I put a lot of research into the podcast, and I think you guys would really like it. So it, it's very well done. I have to say, yeah, you know, I listened to it the other day when it came out, and John, you did a phenomenal job. Thank you researching, and it's just it's it's not like another podcast that you listen to. It's very different than our our podcast, mm-hmm. um, but it's 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 very it's just very well done that's just- oh thank you yeah it's just me talking and the episode is only 20 minutes and i got some cool background music in there it and is everything. such good music yeah, i love the music I, I listened to that at first and i was like when it first came on i was like this is great <laughs> love it so be sure to subscribe to that and thank you so much all right well all this talk about murder makes me thirsty so <laughs> let's get to it surprise shots Surprise shots. We don't know what they are because they're a surprise. I'm still using the table because I don't know where my bongos are. Where are they? I have no idea. They're in this house somewhere. I'm not going to like this. No. Sorry. Cheers. Cheers. That was a whiskey drink. That was Jameson Black Barrel whiskey to go with the Gaelic ale that we're drinking tonight. Ugh. It wasn't so bad. I took a swig of my beer right after. It was good. It was a good chaser. Okay. 
you know, Nicole, I'm, I'm proud of you for just taking these just willy nilly. Proud of you. But like, <laughs> you'd think that after three years, it'd be a little bit easier to swallow for you. No, no. I still prefer to not swallow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I've noticed that after three years. All right. Four? I'm sorry. <laughs> Four and a half, asshole. So tonight we're going to Germany during the Second World War, right when the Second World War broke out, actually. We're going to a concentration camp. Oh, boy. Mm. And we're talking about the bitch of Buchenwald Ooh. tonight. I don't think I've heard this story. She mm. is the most brutal, savage Nazi female that has ever existed. And when you talked about making your own lamps, she is actually known as the lampshade maker. Oh. As well. And that's of human <laughs> skin, obviously. So. Yikes. Well, my lamps don't have lampshades. <laughs> they are just booze bottles. But you can, if you'd like one, you can contact me somehow and I will make one for you and I'll ship it to you. So I'm not going to make this episode a history lesson by any means, but we are going to talk about some things related to the war and Hitler in the episode. So. So is. Is Buchenwald the camp? Yeah, or... Buchenwald is the camp. Now, there's a difference between a concentration camp and a death camp. Okay. There was actually only 12 death camps. Only. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> well, what's the difference, Nicole, between a death camp and a concentration camp? Concentration camps, their per original purpose is to build things for the war machine. Oh, that's aid. very good, yeah. And death camps are specifically for the purpose of exterminating peoples. Some concentration camps, though, or death camps, they may have done work to build the death camps, though. Hmm. Like that happened in Auschwitz. So were stuff. concentration yeah. camps more of like holding? Well, originally, yeah. were they meant to be just holding Actually, places? People erroneously link concentration camps and death camps, and they're not the same. I misspoke earlier. It's six true death camps, including... Auschwitz Birkenau Birkenau yeah Auschwitz Birkenau which is one Auschwitz 1 Auschwitz 2 which is Auschwitz Birkenau and then there's Auschwitz Monowitz which is Auschwitz 3 and then there's and then uh Madenek and Sobibor and oh. Treblinka now I don't know well now, Sobibor and Treblinka came up in that um um Devil Next Door so the Holocaust Museum claims they're Maybe upwards of 20,000 camps in total, but there were only six true death camps. Now, they were all death camps, per se, where a lot of inmates died. Yes, but, because they would just shoot people yeah, in the concentration camps yeah, or But Auschwitz whatever. and those other death camps were specifically just ovens. Now, did the concentration camps also have gas chambers or... Yeah. Yeah, so the or did they send those them, to the? I'm not saying all of them. The one that we're doing tonight, the Buchenwald, and I think that's how you pronounce it. I saw several sources that pronounced it like that. It actually had the highest mortality rate of hmm. all the camps, wow, including the death camps or just the concentration camps. Yeah, including the death camps. Yeah, hmm. wow. So, and this was a horrible camp, and it was actually so. These camps are based in. German cities usually. 
And I the, just finished reading The Tattooist of Auschwitz. It was ooh. really interesting. It was really good. Well, what did they, what True was story. that book about? It was about the tattooist of Auschwitz, who is a Jew, but he spoke a lot of different languages. Um, and he was from Slovakia. He was a Sl- Slovak Jew, but he spoke many different languages and he managed to impress a couple of the Germans. So he was, he became the tattooist of Auschwitz and it's his true story um, and how he met his wife at the camp. And it's, it, it was a very powerful story. Um, it was really well done, but I, it's interesting. So my, I'm, I have a Jewish ancestry and, um, I'm Russian Jew and Polish Jew. And I found that the, the name of the town. So I, I did go to Auschwitz and Auschwitz-Birkenau, um, when I studied abroad, made a trip to Poland, and I had assumed that most of my family died in that concentration camp, having been from Poland. Mm-hmm. They were from uh, Łódź, which it's spelled L-O-D-Z with a with a slash in the O, but it's pronounced Łódź or something, I guess. Okay. Um, but it turns out, and it's interesting you just say this. Um, I found this out after I went to Auschwitz. That most of my fam, the family that I had, was killed in a concentration camp in Germany. Interesting, Dachau, which I also went to visit. I've heard of I, that one. It's outside of Munich. Mm. So I went there, not even knowing that that's where my most of my family ended up dying. Wow, that's interesting. So they transport. It's really fascinating that they would tra- be transported all the way from Poland to Germany. Right. So World War Two, and. Like I said, it's not going to be a history lesson, but September 1st, 1939 is when it broke out. That's when Hitler invaded Poland. Now, September 2nd, 1945 is the official end of the war, and this camp was liberated on April 11th, 1945. So a lot of these camps, concentration camps, which are called Konzentrationslager, or KL for short, are you you can even see it KZL, would be liberated by the Americans and the Soviets, and they wouldn't even know that the camp was there. To begin with, they would just stumble upon the camp by accident, usually. When the Nazis started to lose the war is when most of the deaths, at least in the concentration camps, happened because they were basically trying to get rid of the evidence, and that Mm -hmm. evidence was hundreds and thousands of inmates and like i said it's not all jewish people there were even germans in there and i'm not sure about all the camps but buchenwald was segregated according to status Hmm. and each inmate since they all looked alike basically they were emaciated emaciated skeletons walking around they were denoted by having a triangle cloth known as a wink wink on that was sewed to their jacket, their striped jacket. They were all wearing the same thing. So if you saw a red triangle on uh, someone's shoulder, it meant he was a political prisoner, a communist or a socialist. A green triangle meant a thief or a murderer. A black triangle was an asocial person, like a gypsy or a prostitute or a nonconformist. Hmm. nonconformist. Do you want to guess what the pink triangle was? The pink triangle was the homosexuals. Hmm. The purple triangle was Jehovah Witnesses, Hmm. which they freaking hated. 
Like almost as much as the Jewish people. Wow. Really? Even though Jehovah's Witnesses are Christian? Yeah, they hated Jehovah's Witnesses. And I, I believe, and I'm not 100% on the history here, but I do know that Jehovah's Witnesses were pacifist. And that hmm. was one of the reasons because they didn't want to join the war effort. Ah, now, the sense, Jews, the Jews had a yellow triangle that pointed up and one pointed down. This, the Star of David. Yeah. So it's like the Star of David. They could also wear a yellow triangle combined with another. So, for instance, if they were a Jewish thief or a Jewish murderer, they would have a yellow triangle and a green triangle. So mm-hmm. and, and the Jewish people, especially in this camp, were of the lowest status of the camp. They also had letters on their uniforms for their country. So, for instance, if it was a N, it would be from Netherlands. And if they had a P, it'd be from Poland. So this camp was liberated on April 11th, 1945 by Captain Frederick Keffer. He was an intelligence officer from Combat Team 9th, 6th Armored Division. Now, he didn't actually see that there was a camp at the time. And it's, it's interesting because American soldiers... They had no idea about these concentration camps. It was a rumor that was going around and and, uh, Life magazine had actually tried to expose the concentration camps and stuff like that. But it was all just rumor. And they definitely wasn't expecting to see the things they saw. For instance, this is on the first day of liberation. This is just one of the wagons. If you want to tell if you want to describe that. Oh, it is. It is just a wagon of corpses. So a wagon of corpses. So the camp itself was actually under a revolution at the time. There was an underground committee taking place and the inmates were actually in the middle of an uprising and they had actually ran off all the, the guards and the camp was actually run by the two people we're talking about tonight, Carl Koch, which is K O C H. I've also heard it pronounced like cock, Coke, Coke, like the Coke you drink, and then or Kalk, the Coke brothers. Coke, yeah, that's how you spell it. Too. That, well, yeah, I think it's Coke like that, and but I've seen it pronounced both ways. And his wife and the the sexual sadist Ilsa Coke. And she is the bitch of Buchenwald. Mm. Together, they make the beast of Buchenwald. Ooh, quite the couple name. So when the Americans liberated Buchenwald, they found bodies in wagons, stacked in wagons. They found bodies in the crematorium. There were bodies in the wagons that weren't even dead yet. They were in the process of dying, and they all looked... I mean, they were all starving to death. And it's actually really crazy because a lot of the inmates that were liberated died after liberation because they their stomachs couldn't accept food anymore. Ah, so when they got terrible. when they got the food handed out to them, it killed them. Jesus. And once they figured that out, they started basically giving the corpses the walking corpses that were still alive uh basically like water with nutrients in them because even mm. even chicken soup broth would be too rich for their stomach linings wow. and that could kill them so they had to be really careful to get these guys back to a level and if you type in 
if you go to Google and just type in concentration camp or a, a Buchenwald, you'll see literally skeletons. They look like mm. they look like skeletons. See, that's uh, I can't even imagine what that would be like. Where you're beyond a point of being able to accept even chicken broth, where like yeah. you're so emaciated and and what's the word I'm looking for? I can't think of the word. But you you don't have enough strength and to get the nutrients that you need. The Americans also noticed the distinct and overpowering smell of urine, feces, and death. There were thousands of dead corpses all like littered on the ground. And the author of the book that we're reading tonight, which is called The Beast of Buchenwald, his name is Flint Whitlock. It's a really great book. It's, uh, it's one in a series that he's written about Buchenwald, and he is a World War II documenter. He relates Buchenwald to, quote, Dante's Inferno mm. without the compassion. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. So the camp was run by Carl Otto Koch and his wife, Elsie, from 1937 to 1941. And as I said, it had the highest mortality rate. To be a prisoner in this camp, you were to be dehumanized. And they did that by giving you a number and they had photographed you when you arrived in the camp and you were then just known as a number, kind of like the military almost, at least when I was in there. Hmm. The prisoners were beaten with fists, sticks, clubs, dog leashes, riding crops, which is like horse God. riding um, whips, rubber hoses, ox tail whips, leather belts, rifle butts, shovels, spade handles, rocks, and whatever else was handy. Among all the sadists at Buchenwald, and there were countless numbers, no one could approach Summer in terms of cruelty. His office in the bunker, the quote, prison within a prison, contained a secret compartment in the floor beneath his desk, in which he kept various instruments of torture that would have seemed appropriate during the Spanish Inquisition, along with instruments of death, needles he used to inject air and carbolic acid into the veins of his victims. It's interesting that he would do air injections, which is untraceable when clearly no one's investigating these murders anyway. So the Nazis, apparently, you just, if you're a Nazi sergeant or whatever, in the death camps, you just can't do these human experiments on anyone. You had to actually get it approved by the higher-ups. Oh, so they had some sort of standard... If you're a Nazi and you wanted to do a human experiment, it had to benefit the Nazis in some way. Like, for instance, prove that they're the master race and shit like that. So that's why you would do it. So they would have to get it approved by Himmler is like the one that was in charge of all that mm -hmm. shit. Heinrich Himmler. So you'd have to get it approved by him to do all these experiments. experiments. So guys like this... This is Martin Sommer. He's 23 years old. He was the chief jailer. He was just a sexual sadist, just like the rest of them. Some of the inmates confessed that he would squeeze a man's head in a special vice that he constructed until the skull would crack. Oh, God. He would also starve the prisoners to death while dangling food right above their heads oh, until God. they died. Oh, man. This is from the uh, book we're reading. One day, Sommer entered a cell in the bunker and had seven terrified Jews using nothing more than a metal bucket. He beat two of them to death. 
He then proceeded to tear a piece of metal piping from the radiator and kill the other five with it. He also hated priests. A lot of the Nazis hated priests for some reason. Hmm. And um, they did some special things to them. Like Somer crucified these two elderly priests um, upside down. Jeez. All right, but we're not talking about him. We're talking about Carl and his lovely wife. And this is them right there, if you want to describe them. They're an older couple. He's 10 years her senior. Oh. Well, she has not aged well. So he actually came from another concentration camp, Sachsenhausen. Mm -hmm. And they sent him to Buchenwald because they were building Buchenwald at the time. So he oversaw the construction of it. And Buchenwald actually translates to the beach forest concentration camp. Beach as in B-E-E-C-H is the type of tree that was all around there. So that's what concentration slaga Buchenwald means. Beach forest concentration camp. Hmm. And uh, the book says, arguably, except for Auschwitz, no other word resurrects more memories of inhuman brutality in the 20th century than does Buchenwald. In short order, Buchenwald would become the epitome of the brutal Nazi state. It's crazy. I don't think I've heard of that this concentration camp before. Hmm. So if this is your first episode, I put all my sources, videos, and photos on talkmurder.com. So go there and click the blog post. Be sure to write me a comment, and you can follow along with us tonight. So Carl Otto Koch, born in Darmstadt, August 2nd, 1897. He was one of two sons of a bureaucrat. His father died when he was six, and he had to join another family after his mother remarried of six other stepsons. Now, not much is known about him or his wife other than these few facts, but him and his future wife, Ilsa, they came from the bottom poor. They came from no money at all, poverty, Hmm. which is one of the reasons they will be arrested by the SS in the story from stealing funds from the SS and illegally reallocating different funds and and monies and stuff like that that should have went to the SS. The SS actually arrested both husband and wife after they came under scrutiny for misappropriating funds that were um, like, you know, to build the camp and stuff like that. Mm. You would think after that that they would be, you know, thrown in jail for that themselves. Well, Carl... Carl Koch got executed for that reason alone. Oh, wow. Yeah, so this... And we're not going to get into it, but this um, nobility, this it was like the first guy from nobility, German nobility that joined the Nazis. He found out that Carl and his wife were stealing all this money and how the, and they would have different schemes. But one of them was they would come to the Jewish inmates and say, hey, you need to write home to your family and get them to send you all the money they have or, you know, mm-hmm. I won't kill you and torture you and stuff like that. And then once they did, they just killed them anyway. Wow. But anyway, that money was supposed to go to the SS. And this German nobility who joined the SS is the one that prosecuted him. And he died by firing squad, which is crazy because that's, you know, hmm. like he, I mean, they were like literally making lampshades out of humans and he got executed for stealing some money. Mm. Wow. He was a mediocre student. He had no ambition. He left school at 14. He started working in a booking department until he joined the war effort. 
and he was wounded as an infantryman in France. This is the First World War. He earned the Iron Cross second class. He was was actually captured by the British on October 20th, 1918, and he was a prisoner of war until October 11th, 1919. (laughs) He got out. He held menial jobs, including an an insurance salesman until he finally joined the Nazi party on March 1st, 1931 number. Cause when you join, they give you a number. His number was 475,586. He then joined the SS, which the main requirement for the SS is what you going to take guess? What's the main, what's the main requirement to join the SS? Not be Jewish. So the background for the application was to have no Jewish relatives. He became a second lieutenant in the SS, and then he meets his wife, Margaret Ilse Kohler. After that, he became a Obstromfuhrer, which means a first lieutenant. Wow. So was Ilse a Nazi before she met her husband? Or did he, uh, did it just kind of come with a marriage type deal? Yeah, that's a good question. So Ilsa, for a period of two years, was dating nothing but SS officers. And she has a that, type. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's the worst, man. <laughs> she's the you worst. But like, with, she though. actually, I think, is the worst. She might be the worst female we've talked about so far. Um, and you know what's kind of funny? So whatever, whenever I think of Elsa, obviously most people probably think of Frozen. Is Which, it Ilsa? It's Elsa. E-L. Because it does well, sound like... Elsa, not to be confused with the queen from Frozen. Uh, correct. But I, whenever I hear the name Elsa, the first name that I think of is um, in Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, my favorite Indiana Jones oh. movie. The female who is a Nazi, her name is Elsa. Isn't one of the aunts in Sabrina the Teenage Witch, isn't her name Elsa? I can't think of their names right now. It's, so. it's an H name, like Hilda. Hilda. Hilda, Hilda. Hilda and Zelda. Yes. That's what it is, not Elsa. Womp womp. Elsa Zelda. Tomato, tomato. For two years, from 1931 to 1933, Koch toiled within Castle's auxiliary SS police force, unsure of what the future held for him, the Nazi party and Germany. But he liked the sense that he was a part of something growing, something powerful, and he enjoyed the visible expression of that power. The black SS uniform with its silver piping and death's head insignia and tall black leather riding boots and gleaming black leather belt. It turned heads and made him stand out from ordinary men and gave him a growing sense that he was important, someone who should be feared. Carl was not a very nice man. Buchenwald had a zoo for the SS officers and the visiting Members of the Nazi party, and he would throw the inmates in the bear cage. <gasps> oh, no. Oh, my God. That sounds like an accident waiting to happen at, like, Clark's Trading Post. Yeah, that's just... Which they closed down, I think. I don't know. Not only that, one of his favorite, I wouldn't say torture methods, extermination methods, was there's a huge rock quarry where, like, the Jews would have to work to death basically they would have to carry up these huge boulders they would have to carry these huge boulders up this huge hill and the edge of the rock quarry was a straight drop down i don't know like 30 or 40 50 feet maybe straight down so if you fell you're dead Mm -hmm. what he would do for his own amusement is he would take two of the inmates and they would take 
right by the rock quarry drop, they would take a beech tree and they would bend it back and then they would be instructed to put another inmate on there, usually <gasps> like Jewish. A, like a catapult? And catapult <gasps> and catapult them into the rock quarry. Oh my God, that's terrible. That oh was God. one of his favorite ways to torture. All right, so I'm going to talk a little bit about Hitler and this movement right quick before we get into the human lampshades. So bringing you back to um, high school history class, Hitler hated Jews. He hated the Marxist. He hated Jehovah's Witnesses, seven-day Adventist. He hated Freemasons. He hated ministers, priests, communists, gays, gypsies, and even the physically and mentally handicapped, which he considered not true Germans. And in fact, what's crazy about the Nazis is in 1933 when he started to come to power. Now, he was coming to power before this, but when he and his henchmen were thinking of the future extermination camps, which weren't in effect yet, he thought the camps would be to exterminate the handicap people, the, the physically weak, which were not true Germans. And not only that, anyone else who undermined his power, he called them the, quote, November criminals. So let's talk about Ilsa, the lampshade maker. She was a fiery redhead. There is one colored photo of her, but I think it's post edited and colored like but, technicolor yeah but she was a redhead with green eyes Ooh. she wasn't much as a child some neighbors said she was quote friendly and happy but she did grow up in a poor family her father was a laborer she became a typist at dressen's cigarette company when she met carl in 1934 this is before she was in the nazi party she was actually one of the first females to join the nazi party she was sexy, now this is from the book, sexy, flaming red hair, green eyes, and only dated SS officers. She was born to Emil and Anna Kohler, and Kohler is uh, the O with the two dots above it. Mm -hmm. On September 22nd, 1906, she was a stenographer and secretary until she joined the Nazi party. She was Nazi member 1,130,863. She joined in 1932. Wow. They already amassed that many people by 1932. That's oh, crazy. yeah. Crazy, yeah. Oh, yeah. But her husband was number like 400-something thousand. Yeah. He was an early 400, donor. 500,000, Interesting. Yeah. So he was, well, like, I mean, he was a lot earlier than she was. So he was a, an SS officer. She was just in the Nazi party. Got she it. wasn't in the SS. Got so it. the SS is like... I wonder if the if part of the reason why she dated so many SS people was because of her poor background, mm. like SS is status. You know, it's it's almost could be a status symbol type thing. Yeah, I don't know. I or mean, maybe she just liked the uniforms. Yeah, I mean, she, I would imagine there's a lot of perks for being an SS officer. Mm. So. A lot of things that you wouldn't have to do if you weren't in the yeah. SS. Yeah, a lot of the things I've learned from. Researching Hitler stuff is most of the SS officers were just doing things to to get in Hitler's good side, mm. you know, like they were just trying to suck up to this guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even with this story, it's like they were trying to one up each other with how cruel they can be to to Impress uh, him. torture yeah. these people. You know, it's just insane. All right. So, Ilsa, this is a um, this is a quote from a book, The Justice at Dachau. 
Ilsa earned the nickname Bitch of Buchenwald for her cruelty, wanton behavior, quixotic anger, and indifference to suffering. She loved horseback riding, though, and she actually built an indoor horse riding arena. Now, this is one of the reasons that they got caught, because the SS didn't allocate funds so this lady could build an indoor horse riding arena, which was somewhere she can ride the horse inside when it's raining hmm. and cold. It's, it almost reminds me of that episode of Seinfeld where he's at the dinner with his um, like great whoever, aunt or great grandmother or someone and he was like who who has a like whoever has a pony in poland or something and she was like i did and then she dies and they're like you killed her (laughs) with your comment because you stressed her out so this horse riding stable was actually eventually used to slaughter thousands of inmates a lot of soviets it's pretty big though here's a picture of it that's a big barn yeah it's like a huge barn it goes all the way back now here's the thing about this they lived in luxury in the Villa Kolk, which is like the mansion, literally a mansion that she made her husband get built. So about the trial of Ilso and the other, what they call the 31, because there were 31 SS guards and uh, staff members at Buchenwald mm-hmm. who got tried together. Part of the prosecution's job, especially with Ilsa, was to prove that she had a direct influence on the everyday goings-on in the camp. So she is the one who wore the pants in the relationship. Mm-hmm. And that was a, there was a lot of testimony that said that she was the one that demanded a mansion being built and all mm-hmm. this stuff. Now, think about it. There's thousands and thousands of inmates that are starving to death, like corpses walking. And they're up there. They have a cellar with thousands of bottles of the finest wine. They eat the finest food. They have the finest furniture. It's like Hitler. You watch all those Hitler documentaries where everything is just the best he can buy. Well, a lot of it is not even things that they bought. They just took it from Jews. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of this stuff was taken from Jews. For instance, a lot of the gold... That they had, that uh, the Americans found, a lot of the gold wasn't gold bars, they were gold teeth. Ooh. And they took the gold teeth before they threw them in the oven. Oh, dear. One thing about Ilsa is, the first time she went down to the wire and in the camp, she saw the guards torturing all these inmates, killing them and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And there were multiple survivors that testified to this. Like the first time she was just looking with curiosity and you could tell she kind of liked it, but she was just staring at these inmates getting tortured and beaten all day long. Then she figured out if she dresses provocative, sexy, and in time she would go out sunbathing right beyond the wire, like in her panties. And she noticed, especially when she was walking the fence and looking really sexy with like short skirt and lipstick and all this stuff, that the guards, the male guards would actually increase the level of torturing that they were doing to the inmates at the time. So they wanted to impress her. They wanted to impress her. So the beatings became more savage when she was there, which is like some psychology shit. So she clearly did it on purpose. Oh yeah. She is the worst person ever. 
Yeah. Yeah, she's up there. Yeah, I'd say. The, is this the only female that we've covered that you don't have any sympathy for? Well, he didn't say he doesn't have any sympathy for her. I don't know. I'm not I'm not hearing any sort of Team John option. In this. Well, she can go to hell. Yeah, there oh, we go. Yeah, okay. <laughs> in fact, that's where she's probably at, at right now. Don't worry. She got what's coming to her. That's the one. Oh, my God. This story is going to fucking amaze you guys at the end. I kind of just want to talk about it now. But I'm just going to say these concentration camps aren't built in woods secluded by hundreds of miles from civilization. They're built in towns. Mm. They're built in old breweries. They're built in old factories. Mm. They're old buildings not in use that are reallocated to be concentration camps, which means that the city... For instance, the city of Weimar, which housed the Buchenwald camp, they're regular citizens going about their day. And, and all this is going on next door. Yeah, so... That's kind of like... And I'll go ahead and talk about this now because it's fucking so interesting. I'll, I'll let you guys read um, a little from this book. But when... You guys know who General Patton is, right? Yes. So when Patton visited Buchenwald, he made enforced mandatory these german citizens that lived in weimar to go view what was what had happened in buchenwald what? he made them wow you don't because fuck with Patton, dude. were they kind of living in a state of ignorance not only that but for instance the crematorium for the first two years when they were burning Jews, they didn't have their own crematorium in the concentration camp. Of course, they got one because when you have to, you know, burn a thousand bodies a day, you can't just be using the municipalities. They were using the city's crematorium oven to burn their Jews oh, and no. stuff, you know, and not only that, but these town folk would see all these walking corpses walk the wire all day long. And then when they... Then when Patton gets there and makes them go view all this stuff, they just act like they didn't know anything about it. So this is what Patton said. Now, this is from the book. He, quote, told the mayor that he wanted every citizen up the next morning ready to march through Buchenwald so as to see what the German people were responsible for. Wow. The engineers were not to bury the dead until after the grand tour by the German townspeople. Wow. And then one of the tour guides that was, he was like an American translator that knew German. He brought the Germans back down because they didn't, they looked very indifferent. They weren't breaking down crying. Oh my God, I'm so embarrassed about my people. One of them was laughing. So he made him go walk the tour again. Well, I think it's, I mean, like it's the complicity. You know? What I mean, the tour, the tour is not like, oh, this is where they tortured. The tour is, hey, this wagon right here, there's there's 2,000 dead Jews in this wagon, the skeletons. I mean, it smelled like piss, death, feces. Like, you know, there's you're stepping over bodies. When Patton went the first time, they and in this book, he talks about it. And in his journal, he actually wrote about it, too. Patton was sick to his stomach. He went to the side and vomited. Yeah. And you think of General Patton, I mean, that is the American bulldog right there. And he's out vomiting. Oh, he was pissed about Buchenwald. There's no doubt about it, man. Well, I think it, it shows, based on the reaction of, that some of the townspeople had, 
they were aware and let it happen, you know, mm-hmm. let it happen. Whether or not they were fight, they weren't fighting in the war, but they certainly weren't upset by what was going on. Right. In his own memoir, A Soldier's Story, Omar Bradley wrote, The smell of death overwhelmed us even before we passed through the stockade. More than 3,200 naked, emaciated bodies had been flung into shallow graves. Others lay in the streets where they had fallen. Lice crawled over the yellowed skin of their sharp, bony frames. A guard showed us how the blood had congealed in coarse black scabs, where the starving prisoners had torn out the entrails of the dead for food. Eisenhower's face whitened into a mask. Patton walked over to a corner and sickened. I was too revolted to speak. For here, death had been so fouled by degradation that it both stunned and numbed us. So let's go back to Ilsa. She would ride her horse. She would. And if anyone looked at her for a second too long or or if she thought that anyone was looking at her, she would whip them in the face with her horse whip, blinding people. Holy shit. Her slaves in her house in the mansion that she lived in, she would hire like 15-year-old kids as inmates, and when they would come bring her her breakfast in the morning, she would be sitting there butt naked, and if they looked at her or got aroused in any way, then they'd be shot on the spot. Mm. Jesus. What makes Ilsa so infamous and why they call her the bitch of Buchenwald is she had the grand idea of making her own furniture. It was a hobby that she wanted to explore. And how she did that was take human skin from the inmates and make lampshades. They found lamp... And here's some of the photos right here. Go to talkmore.com. I'm putting these photos on there. Here's just a few of the human skin samples. You can't really see it. It's black and white, but those are skin samples. Mm. What you notice about these skin samples is that they all have tattoos on them. (gasps) So she would go and find the inmates with the most colorful tattoos and the best tattoos. And she would have them skinned alive and then, and you know, obviously killed them. She would then make lampshades and books book bindings. She made a photo album for her kids and everything out of the human skin. That's why they called her the bitch of Buchenwald. Now, was she using like, like artistic tattoos or the numbered tattoos or both? No, no, no. Yeah. Excuse me. Artistic tattoos. Oh, okay. That'd be something even more evil if she used their identification tattoos. Jesus. No kidding. Oh, I gotta tell you, there hasn't been a story that's made me feel this nauseous in a long time. This is from one of the survivors in a report on April 27th. Quote, at this camp, I saw with my own eyes a sight I shall never forget. Several pieces of human skin were shown me upon which were pornographic tattoos exactly the size to fit on the sides of a nearby lampshade frame from which they had been from which they had removed from the photograph. According to the information from camp officials confirmed by members of the camp who have lived there, the wife of the next to the last German camp commandant, Ilse Koch, used to 
used to go out to the quarry where prisoners worked in hot sun stripped to the waist. And if they had interesting tattoos, especially of a salacious nature, she pointed them out to the SS guards who later brought her the part of thin skin on which the tattooing was, end quote. God. Now, the number of deaths from the National Holocaust Memorial Museum, the number of deaths at Buchenwald are at least 56,000. Here's one of those tattooed skins right here. You can see, go to talkmore.com, I'm putting this on there, but you can see the tattoo. Ooh. It's got the woman. Yeah. So this would be on a lampshade. She also had in her home light switches. That were made of human thumbs. So, you know, like the light switches that you flip the lights on and off? Uh -uh. They were human thumbs. Oh, my gosh. There was like photo albums made of skin. And not only this, a lot of the stuff wasn't there because she would give these things out to SS officers as Christmas presents. (gasps) Like the skin lampshades and stuff like that. So sick. And guys, yeah. And the reason I'm doing this story in particular is because... Of the podcast that, um, the Ghoul podcast that you guys should go listen to, Eddie Gein actually was a huge fan of these stories, especially the bitch of Buchenwald. I was going to say, did he get it from her? I've never seen anywhere that said, yes, he got the idea from this, but he would read these Nazi crime stories because Mm -hmm. back in the 50s, they were huge, obviously. You know, but these like uh, true detective magazines, they were filled with Nazi atrocities. And I do know for a fact that he had books on Ilsa Koch and the, the bitch of Buch- Buchenwald making lampshades out of humans and stuff like that. I think so, it's a safe deduction that he gained some exactly. So, and inspiration. Then in episode two of that podcast, I'm going to be talking about that. That's why I wanted to do this podcast here to kind of get more into Edgine's mind and see why he you know, did some of the things he did. Now, what, do we know if she... Um... I'm assuming the people were dead before she took their skin off. The safe mm. assumption. I honestly I don't know. I mean, because at the at this camp they were also doing like typhoid injections and all kinds of shit. You're at you're asking if a Nazi in any Nazi is going to have the decency to kill a human before they take their tattoo skin. I mean, I, I know, doubt I it. Know. Yeah. They'd probably skin them alive right Ugh. there. One of the pictures reproduced in this report shows the head of an American Indian tattooed on the arm of a prisoner. It is obvious from the photograph that the man was alive at the time. Yet this same Indian head appeared in the collection of the pathology department. And it's a fortunate accident that this piece of skin was not tanned, in which case the records would usually not show exactly when the process was performed, mm. but prepared in a conserving solution, which... In which case, both the date of the first treatment and the day of completion are recorded. It happened frequently that SS officers came to the pathology department and demanded tattooed skin preparations for a book cover or a knife sheathing and other objects as souvenirs. They would frequently reason that they wanted it because Coke and other SS officers had such souvenirs. They make it sound like it's a gift shop. Yeah. That's it basically what it was. That's I mean, gross. she would give it to... All of the SS, you know, I mean, she is just a fucking evil person, dude. I mean, they're all evil. Yeah. His story confirmed and completed what was told by the prisoners of the pathology department and by those who had seen the lampshade in the Coke house. 
When I came to the pathology department in 1942 to work, I still met some of the prisoners who had been compelled to tan the tattooed skins for use of this lampshade. A second lampshade had been ordered a little after the first had been made with such success by the cooks by another SS officer. It was never finished, but its frame was still in the storeroom of the pathology department when I came there. So a lot of the trial was about the lampshades specifically. And so one of the things that is different about the American justice system and these war crimes is that hearsay evidence could be used to prosecute Hmm. the Nazis. Not only that, but is not innocent until proven guilty. They start out as guilty and they alone have the burden to prove their own innocence. Hmm. So, which is why a lot of them were, you know, which is why a lot of them were executed because they couldn't, because there's so many witnesses because hearsay evidence is allowed. And so many survivors that are pointing the finger at them saying, you did this, you did this, you did this. And they're pretty much screwed. She thought she was going to get, out scot-free in fact she did once before the ss prosecuted her husband and her and she just said this guy's a thief my husband you know how nazis <gasps> she are it all on her yeah husband. the nazis are all like that <laughs> you know oh save I, herself if, if i didn't do this hitler would kill me you know like shit like that so she blamed it all on him he was shot in the head executed with the firing squad by the ss then once the war ended she was rounded up. She was living in an apartment with her sons. Mm. Like nothing had happened. Living in an apartment just nothing like on the here. third floor, you know, not even working. She was using all the money that she had stolen from the Jews and, you know, all that other stuff to live on. Anyway, she was rounded up and in the trial was the same thing. Oh, I'm just the I'm just the housewife, the pregnant housewife you know, that was trying to raise my kids. I had no idea. And then you get all the survivors that say, you did this, you did this, you did this. And obviously she was thrown in prison. So was the lampshade kind of ultimately her her downfall? Because she that was something that she had done? There was no evidence of a lampshade. It was pro- They were probably destroyed, you know, because, I mean, they knew that gotcha. the war was coming to an end. That's the first thing they're going to do. That's why they killed all the... They tried to kill all the uh, inmates right before they were liberated. But they did find the tan skin ready to be produced as book covers or whatever. And they used at least three samples in the court to try her in the tribunal to try her of the skins with the tattoo. The one I just showed you was one of them. Yeah. But they didn't actually find a lampshade or anything because that evidence was destroyed. But with the hearsay evidence and all the, like the, the two slave boys that worked for her, they saw the lampshades, all the other survivors, they saw stuff like that too. They would, a lot of the uh, testimony is about certain inmates that had like a full canvas on their skin and then the next day they were never seen again type of thing so she was so she was convicted this time around yeah she was convicted and she spent her life in prison behind bars and she actually kills herself Hmm. the book goes on to say 
Another guard was called to assist, and together with some effort, they managed to get her room door open, only to discover that the prisoner, three weeks short of her 61st birthday, had fashioned a noose from her bedsheet during the night and had hung herself from the door latch. She gave her son a note. Her son was like 18 at the time, and he didn't know who his mom was, and then he oh. started visiting her. And the note said, and it's in German, which I can't read, but it translates to, I cannot do otherwise. Death is for me a liberation. She Hmm. actually did confess to all this stuff after she was already not, not, she was trying to save her own ass, obviously. But before the Christmas of 1950, she had a psychological breakdown. She, she was screaming, quote, I am guilty. I am a sinner over and over and over. Hmm. And um, she was smashing the furniture in her cell and everything else. Wow. She went into hysteria. Wow. So. Good. Like, here's here's one of the shrunken heads they found. They actually found. Mm, oh, my goodness. And I'll put <gasps> this on talkmore.com. They found a lot of shrunken heads. And Is that her hair on it? No, it's not her hair. It's the person's hair, right? It's the person's hair. But they found a way to shrink the head using some sort of chemical. This is some of the Nazi experiments they they were doing. And so they found several shrunken heads. They actually found one head right here, which I'll put a picture on talkmore.com, but the head was dissected vertically. Oh. So you can see the the brain, basically, because it's dissected straight down the middle of the nose. So you can actually see the whole brain and everything. And this is just one of their experiments. I mean, these I mean, these Nazis, man, fucking awful. Yeah, here's here's the one side of his head, but so the other side would be his brain. Oh my and stuff. goodness! Wow. Yeah. So I mean, I'll put these pictures on talkmore.com. It's pretty crazy. Jesus. She was definitely the worst female Nazi ever. So, but that's the bitch of Buchenwald. And I wanted to do that because Ed Gein actually took a lot of his inspiration from it. Now that I think about it, I really do think he did do his lampshades and stuff like that from her because Ed Gein doesn't even have power in his house, yet they found a human lampshade in his house. He doesn't even have electricity. Wasn't the chair made of human skin too? Yeah, so he doesn't even have like electricity, yet he's got a lamp. Interesting. That's the bitch of Buchenwald lampshades out of human skin only if they're tattooed though Mm. that was kind of her thing tattooed so the next time you get a tattoo guys um just remember that story and uh be glad you're not in a concentration camp yeah no shit Mm -hmm. but anyway i hope you guys enjoyed it make sure to go check out the ghoul podcast and i I think you guys really like it it's uh pretty in-depth and i'm going to be releasing the other episodes hopefully before Halloween 2020. And so be sure to subscribe so you'll know exactly when they come out. But anyway, my name's John. I'm here with Jen and Nicole. Until next time, good night, you lovely, lovely people.